You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Gracious Lord, we give you thanks, uh, as always, for your continual presence, uh, your promise to be with us, to not leave us nor forsake us. We thank you for your word this morning and this gracious word in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, May it lift our hearts this morning, may it increase our faith, and may it ultimately, Lord, draw us closer to you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, friends, this is the penultimate week in our kind of cursory glance at the Sermon on the Mount. Um, As I've mentioned, several weeks in a row, you really can't, am I speaking loudly enough for those of you back there? Um, you really can't do the Sermon on the Mount uh, in five weeks, much less 30 weeks. And so we've, we've been selective. I've, I've been able to talk at length about a few passages, but really uh, we just can't do the whole thing justice in a little over a month. Um, but in any case, last week we looked at the Lord's Prayer. And of course, uh, the Lord's Prayer is elemental. I mean, we've, we've known it since we were little. And yet, I think we, we have to look at it with fresh eyes each, each time we pray it, uh, each time we study it. Um, this, this morning, we're going to be looking at uh, the end of chapter 6 here. Oh, mercy. Um, I think the Lord just loves me struggling. Uh, what did Craig talk about this way? The way of the cross. I'm just being ever crucified before you. Um, let me, let me read this out loud, uh, and then we can continue to discuss. And again, if you've got a Bible app, I'm not... A, If you have your phone out, I'll just trust that you're not uh, tweeting things about me. (laughs) This is chapter 6, beginning in the 25th verse. Uh, Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. And I recognize that for those of you reading along, Uh, You didn't see the whole passage there, but that's okay. All right, well, this passage, to me, again, uh, just giving you some context, uh, the Lord's Prayer uh, is verses uh, 9 through 13, and so we've skipped down. We talked briefly about fasting last week. I don't think I did it justice, but again, we have to be selective. Uh, And then the portion about laying up treasures in heaven. I wanted to focus today on this, this passage, Do Not Be Anxious. Uh, of course, we've heard that before, and I think at root level, at heart, we want to we want to embody this. We want to believe that you know anxiety is not good for us, and we should live uh, more um, carefree uh, in the gospel. And yet, as I hear those words, and I'm sure as you heard them this morning, you thought, I don't always live this way. I'm not living this way right now. I'm over caffeinated. Um, it, it causes even more anxiety. In fact, I woke up this morning, Paige, my lovely wife, who's watching our sick child this morning. 
uh, made me two cups of coffee, like first thing in the morning. I do not deserve her. And uh, sort of to this passage, how much more does my heavenly father, if my wife who, while lovely, uh, is limited, uh, loves me that much, how much more so does God love me? But I woke up to two cups of coffee and cinnamon rolls. This is just not the way you should start your day. So I'm a little, yeah, a little anxious. But in any case, anxiety, I mean, I think this is, uh, this is a perennial word to humanity to not be anxious, uh, but particularly for those of us living in the 21st century. Uh, I don't want to say particularly. I'm sure people have been anxious, uh, well, they have been forever. But do you feel it? I mean, do you feel like anxiety kind of captures your mood often, oftentimes? I mean, you can, you can shake your head yes. Uh, and if you don't, we won't judge you. We know what you're ultimately thinking. And I'm a pretty cool, under-pressure kind of guy. Like, I don't lose my cool that much. And yet... Um, like a duck on water, I may look smooth uh, above the surface, but beneath the surface, I, I'm, I'm spinning out of control, it feels like at times. And so Jesus has given us these gracious words, uh, these gracious words that God actually cares for us. Uh, this is a word that we, we need not forget. Christianity can often be hijacked as uh, do something for God, uh, be a good person, be holy, uh, do all these wonderful things, do, do, do. Uh, you ought to do this, you should do that. Uh, and of course, there is truth in that. We, we understand uh, that God's law is holy and righteous, uh, but we can't forget that first and foremost, Christianity is about a God who has loved us, who has served us, and continues to love and serve us. And as Craig mentioned in his sermon, not by, uh, not by cajoling us or exhorting us uh, or pressuring us, but by sacrificing himself for us, we're moved then uh, to actually believe it and love him back and love our neighbor. So today, the, the subject, uh, faith uh, as trust. Uh, Jesus talks about faith in this. Oh, you of little faith, it's a, sort of an accusation. Those of us who don't have faith, that's why we're anxious. Uh, but faith is often thought of incorrectly as simply intellectual assent. Intellectual assent, in other words, believing propositions, uh, uh, belief or faith. You know, we read the Apostles' Creed, we proclaim it, uh, the Nicene Creed. Um, uh, we proclaim our faith, and so often we think it stops there, that we recognize intellectually uh, truths, if you will, uh, truths about, about God. Now that is a portion of faith, but faith is much deeper than that. If it's simply intellectual uh, propositions, well gosh, our job as Christians should be teaching then, right, alone. We shouldn't be preaching or loving people, we should simply just be telling them the truth. And that is a loving thing to do, but as you know, uh, that in and of itself, um, it falls flat if it doesn't reach the heart. If it's simply head, if it's simply intellect, and it's not heart, uh, then it's not, it's not faith. Uh, Jesus talks about this. Even the demons know that he's the Son of God. They know it. They intellectually ascend assent, uh, to it. But it's, it's a belief as trust that we're talking about. So when you hear faith or belief, um, despite what you may have been thinking all along that it's, it's simply here, I want you to translate the word in your mind as trust. As trust. Belief is trust. Faith as trust. Um, so on the face of it, um, I consider, you know, a newborn child. They don't have a lot of intellectual knowledge, right? An intellectual child, a child rather, uh, doesn't know a lot about uh, math or reading uh, or science, but they can trust. From an early age, they know uh, to trust their mother or their father or whomever uh, their, their caregiver is. They trust. They don't know the person's history. They don't know their resume. Uh, they might not even know their name, and yet the child trusts. And so when Jesus tells us to have a childlike faith, I often think about a newborn child who trusts uh, his mother or his father. 
that puts us in sort of a weak, vulnerable position as Christians because, again, we, uh, we're likened unto children. We're likened unto uh, small infants. I'm going to close this door. It's all right. That might not have bothered you, but it was bothering me. Um, where was I? Infants, small children, uh, faith as trust. Again, it's a faculty that we have uh, simply um, as, as, as human beings. And, and not even just human beings. I think as you look to the, the natural world, uh, particularly mammals, but even not just mammals, and it's not altogether the same, but it's similar, right? We see how uh, young uh, beings, young infant beings, trust their parents uh, for better or worse. But in our case, it is for better. It's not, not for worse. Let, let's stop there for just a moment. I want to reflect on that. Um, again, most all of us here are adults. We probably are in charge or think we are of our careers or our families or uh, our lives. But in the life of faith, uh, we're not in charge. We are infants uh, hoping and trusting and looking to someone else to fulfill our needs. Does that make you kind of feel scared or vulnerable? I mean, think about it for a minute. Think, think about your own life, your career, your standing in your family. And now before God, uh, you're not... You know, you're not the person in charge. You're the person. You're not the person calling the shots. You're the person uh, begging uh, that God um, would have mercy, begging that God would meet your needs. And we need not beg. Um, he's not requiring that of us. But that's that's where we are. That's where we are. So when we read this verse again, it recalibrates who we are. We consider things. I mean, elemental needs, things like food and clothing. What can we add to that list? What we talked about last week when Jesus said, give us this day our daily bread, these elemental needs. What, what can we add to that list besides food and clothing that's mentioned here? Peace. Peace, yeah. Just simply be, being at peace. That's pretty elemental. Sight. Sight, yeah. Just our, our bodily senses, yeah. Um, I, I didn't make my eyes. Someone else gave them to me. What else? I mean, think about all the things that you're just, you're vulnerable to what God has given you. There's so much that we've, we think we've earned in this life, but truthfully, if you really reflect for just a moment, uh, all that you have, as, as we hear in James, is a gift from above. Everything uh, is a gift from God. And so we need not be anxious. Uh, this is, of course, the difficult word. Now, again, the analogy breaks down. Little children can be anxious too, even though they trust even though there is that natural faculty within us to trust, uh, our trust can wane. And so when we see little babies uh, not trusting, how do they act? Defiant, crying, I think I heard. What was this one? Fretful. Fretful, yeah. Uh, Their emotions are so manifest on their sleeves. And you and I are a little bit more sleek. We can tend to hide it. We we may have developed a poker face over time. But again, underneath the surface, uh, we we are struggling. And so, yeah, when we, we don't believe what's been told, we are anxious. When we don't believe uh, the goodness of God, it does cause us to spin out of control and be frenetic and frantic and struggling. And I think we all recognize that. Um, in, in our best seasons, when things are going well, we're smooth, we're collected, we're cool, we're calm. Uh, but when things are, have a question mark next to them, you know, will I get paid this week? Will I eat today? And those are, those are extreme, but even, so, even more so, you know, uh, Will my boss call me back? You know, I, I, I need that call. The things that make us anxious, the things that keep us up at night, for you and me in this room, I'm not going to make any assumptions. It may or may not be, am I getting paid? Am I getting uh, fed? 
but it may be, am I being recognized? Am I getting what I need in my career? Uh, those things uh, perhaps uh, at a deeper level cause you anxiety. And so Jesus gives us the good news. Uh, how much more so uh, does your heavenly Father love you? How much more so will God provide? Now is that to say that just because we uh, just because we want it or just because we pray it, it will happen. I'm going to skip down to chapter 7, and we're going to talk about that subject matter as well. We're going to skip judging for now. We'll come back to it. Ask, and it will be given. Uh, so I'll read this uh, from the screen here. This is chapter 7, beginning in verse 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Now again, this raises a question that perhaps it puts a stone in our shoe. You know, at face value as we read this, we think, well, gosh, if I just ask for it, uh, God, who is uh, uh, gracious and loving and kind and consistent, he'll just give it to me. So today, Lord, I'm going to ask that you uh, lower my car payment. Uh, in fact, I don't even want the car I have. I want the new shiny car, the new 2023 edition of X, Y, or Z. Again, I mean, that's the way often people think of this. And if you turn on the television, I know it's kind of old hat now, uh, taking a pot shot at prosperity teaching, but often this is the kind of verse that's used to say, if you want it, all you got to do is pray it and it will be manifest. And that is, of course, not what Jesus is saying. In the context of all this, it's talking about, again, our daily bread, our actual needs from the Lord's Prayer, not um, worldly wants necessarily. Anybody want to say anything on that? It's, it's just the logic we've been brought up with. Um, we did not read the portion uh, before the Do Not Anxious, laying up treasures in heaven. And he, he gives this bold proclamation. He says, you cannot serve God and money. You cannot serve God and money. And so money is one thing, but all the worldly possessions, goods, wants, desires, we can't serve both that uh, and God. Does anybody have a trick on how this cannot happen? Um, I mean, seriously, it's going to drive me crazy. Do you all know, like, uh, you know, in seminary, we just, like, we don't talk about this stuff. Like, <laughs> um, I'll, I'll let that be, but um, yes, um, so ask, asking for things. And so um, our true need is much deeper than simply um, food or money or even breath. Uh, as you mentioned, our true need is uh, being in relationship with God. And of course, if we ask that, it will be given. If we seek that, it will be given. If we knock, that door will be open. Again, going to James, I didn't mean to have James and Matthew uh, talking so much this morning, but James talks about if we draw near to God, He will draw near to us. He will. He will. It's a promise. Now, does that drawing near always look uh, the way we might script it? Of course not. Uh, God cannot be pinned down. As Isaiah says, my ways are not your ways and my thoughts are not your thoughts. Uh, this is a God who cannot be pinned down, and yet we can count on His mercy. Uh, that mercy uh, is ever sure. But again, it may not manifest the way that you and I would have scripted it. Uh, our lives are, are continually being uh, written. They're continually being uh, laid out before us. And as much as we would like to believe that we're in control, at every turn we're vulnerable and we're trusting in God alone. I mean, just think about it. Uh, I think the average American, 
I'm not pointing fingers in this room, but the average American uh, lives in crippling credit card debt. Uh, most Americans don't have more than $400 saved. Now again, m maybe you have more than that, but just think for a moment, if something turned in your life, something dramatic, a job change, a stock market change, um, you know, a family change even, uh, how much of that could turn overnight? Now I guess, again, our natural recourse is to say, okay, I've got to save more, or I've got to invest more wisely, or I've got to protect myself. And again, you can do that until you're blue in the face, but let's be honest, we know that uh, we are small little cogs in a majorly large machine. And so the trust is not, and again, the instinct is not for me to try harder to fix it, to make sure that my investments are safe, to make sure uh, that my accounts are safe, to make sure that all the things that I want to protect are safe. Uh, the instinct is to turn to God. This is what this is telling us to do. To not, not to forsake worldly wisdom. There is, there is wisdom in all that you've been told financially, career-wise, etc. But ultimately, recognizing that it comes from God and God alone. Yeah, again, there's no script. The question is, what does it look like to turn to God in times of difficulty? The truth is, um, Ellis, in your question even, we often don't even turn to God until it's difficult. You know, again, that oftentimes it's only in the bad times that we turn. And he's ready to hear. He's ready to hear. What does it look like? Well, it can look like, it can look like a lot of things. Uh, for some of us, it might look like simply going back to church. You know, during COVID, we, we fell out of habits. Maybe we tuned in online, maybe we didn't, but for some of us it may just be showing up to hear something given to me. But maybe you don't even have the energy or strength to do that. Uh, maybe it's dusting off your old family Bible and, and picking it up or your prayer book. Or just remembering the prayers you were told as a child. It could be calling a friend, a good faithful Christian friend who, who will give you counsel. Uh, maybe, maybe a clergy person, maybe not. Um, it, it can look a lot of different ways. Uh, but the question itself, when things go bad, how do I turn to God? Um, it, it almost assumes that we haven't turned to God when it's good. And again, that reshapes us right there. Like, Where are we turning in the good times? Again, we live in a culture that is so instantaneous. Everything that we want, you click a button. But imagine living in the times of the Bible, an agrarian society. You know, you're literally at the mercy of, of the rain and the crops. What is going on <laughs> above us? Uh, Again, we're so vulnerable to the forces uh, around us. Uh, the recording won't pick any of that up. But yeah, the assumption, and not that you made the assumption, but I think even in the question, most of us recognize when things are good, we, we often don't praise God in the midst of, of good times. So yeah, when the bad times come, um, we quickly learn uh, the prayer of the Beatles, help. I need someone, help, help. Not just anyone, help. You know, I need someone. Um, What's that? Do we look at the difficulties as being from God? Is that a way to Yeah, that's, I think, again, that's a question. So the question is, um, I think the question is, do sometimes the difficulties come from God? You know, do we, do we even interpret the bad things as perhaps being uh, God's act in our life? And again, we can't pin God down in that fashion. Of course, God has control over everything. Uh, but, but to put the onus on God for any bad thing, uh, that's where things get hairy. And again, I go to John's gospel for this. The man who was born uh, blind at birth. I mentioned this in the sermon last week. The people ask, you know, is, is this from God? Did he sin and this is a punishment? And Jesus says, no. This is just simply uh, the state of a fallen world. Uh, we can't always blame God for that. But in the midst of hard times, it, whether God's orchestrating it or not, uh, and again, when you read Isaiah, sometimes he is. Sometimes he is 
judging and uh, pruning and shaping through, through difficulty. But whether he's orchestrating it or not, we know that ultimately uh, he has control over it and we turn to him and we pray that uh, he does indeed fashion us through it. I remember years ago, uh, this was Fitz Allison, the bishop, former bishop of South Carolina, Fitz Simmons Allison. Uh, he was at a, a seminary um, setting. I think it was Trinity Seminary where, uh, where Ben went, Ben DeHart. And someone was praying in chapel, prune us, Lord, prune us. And Fitz said, stop praying that. Like, you do not, do not pray for that because uh, you might get for what you ask for. Yeah, ask and uh, you may receive. Uh, in other words, son, you don't know what you're asking for. It sounds really good on paper. It sounds really pious, but uh, none of us want hard times. None of us would pray for hard times. But in the midst of hard times, yeah, we're, we're, almost, we're almost forced to cry uncle. I don't think God's twisting our arm, but we're almost forced to that. And that actually is a good thing. That actually is a good thing. None of us want difficulty, but and this is that picture of law and gospel I gave you a few weeks ago. Um, I, I'm not going to waste my time pulling it up, but that diptych by Lucas Cronach, uh, the difficulties of sin and death and the law, sometimes they do twist our arms so that we finally can see God. We can finally hear His Word. Uh, we have to be humbled. Uh, there's a wise Lutheran saying uh, that preaching or proclaiming uh, God's Word is to afflict the comfortable and to comfort the afflicted. It's, it's a twofold thing. You have to be afflicted first in order to be comforted. And you don't have to look far to know you've, we're all afflicted. I look out, not, not, not anyone in particular. Uh, uh, I'm look, looking at myself, looking at my own navel here, and uh, I, the cross is put upon us. We don't have to take up our cross and follow Jesus. The cross is put upon us. We don't have to go find trials and tribulations. They're here. They're here. And each one of us have uh, varied experiences uh, in childhood and growing up and coming to age and what kind of uh, life we live now. But uh, who among us can say they've had no troubles whatsoever? That cross has been placed upon us. And so, again, in the midst of all that, uh, it's easy for, easy for you to say, Jesus, don't be anxious. Don't be anxious. And yet, um, the promise is there. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Uh, God is meeting every need in the midst of our trouble. Again, it goes back to Craig Smalley's sermon this morning, uh, that the light before us, it may not give us the whole destination in light, um, the headlights and the car analogy. Maybe we can only see a few feet in front of us, but that's enough. And that drives us each step to go further and further. And eventually we make it to our destination. So maybe we didn't have the whole map laid out before us. Maybe we didn't take the turns that we thought we should have taken. Lord, go this way. Um, but he knows the way and he's showing us the way step by step. All right, let's, let's keep moving forward. Any, any more thoughts on faith as trust or anxiety um, or this, this portion of ask and it will be given? There's a lot of collective wisdom in the room, but I won't call names. Uh, I do want to back up, actually. I, I promise you that. We'll talk about judging. Ooh, our favorite subject is Christians, judging. All right, let me read this. And again, I'm sorry it's all over the place, but those were thematically linked. I thought it'd be helpful to to skip this portion and go back to it. All right, chapter 7, verse 1. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there is the log in your own eye. You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. I think that's all of it. 
do not give dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Now again, it's interesting that you would almost expect that Jesus would skip that part and go straight to the ask, but uh, here it is, the word of the Lord right before us. It has been, uh, uh, you might say, juxtaposed uh, between those two passages. But I think there is somewhat of a thematic link. Again, if we're not anxious about our lives and we're not uh, grasping so intently on our own security, it allows us perhaps then to, to view others in a different light perhaps a little bit more compassionately, if we're not so focused on ourselves uh, and our needs and perhaps wants, then maybe compassionately we can start to look out on the world. Again, when we've been forgiven, as we prayed in the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. As we've experienced the life of grace, now we can, we can actually heed this kind of word, uh, to not judge others. But again, Christians, this is uh, one of the great follies of, and I'm counting myself among them. We love to judge. We love to judge, particularly us with a caller. We love to look at other churches and their websites and think, oh, they're just not doing things the way that I would do them. And again, recognizing the small, tiny imperfections in others, uh, but neglecting and missing the major insufficiencies in ourselves. Uh, can any of us relate to that? Yeah, totally, right? And again, this is not just in the church world, but just, just from day one. I love my children, but every day my son comes home and he just talks about, um, he talks about the good things at school, but then he talks about, um, and he's going to get to a certain age where I can't do this anymore. Uh, he's going to know I'm talking about him. Uh, but, he, but he talks about, well, well, so-and-so said this today, and he was wrong, but I was right. I mean, we, we're, we're fixated on that. Uh, at the age, tender age of five years old, uh, and as lovely and as uh, saintly as he can be in the same moment, um, he's a sinner like you and me. He focuses on uh, the shortcomings of others. And I think to myself, well, well William, uh, your shirt's not even tucked in. Like, uh, <laughs> get it together, buddy. Exactly, there I am. There I am. <clears throat> but again, it starts, I think so many of life's problems and life's, um, life's um, well, yeah, life's problems, uh, they manifest so early. Uh, and again, we, we like to think we're grown and mature and got things figured out, but our problems are identical to the five-year-olds. They just, they look a little bit different in the way they're dressed up. Um, yeah, I don't know how much more I could say about this. I kind of want to hear what you have to say about judging. I think it's pretty clear. Yeah, uh, that's a good thought. Um, and again, I was talking in the context of, of preaching, but preaching doesn't have to be so formal what, what a, a clergy person or um, uh, someone who does from the pulpit. But you're right, uh, we got to walk that very gently uh, because we might think it's our job to go out and afflict others. And again, people are already afflicted. They already know they're afflicted. We just got to help them be honest with themselves. And I think this is where, you know, I go to AA all the time, not personally, but I go to the, the wisdom of AA. Uh, when you go to a 12-step group or something like that, it's, it's a broad recognition that everyone's suffering and, and in trouble and in need of, of greater power. Um, you don't need someone pointing the finger when you're already pointing four fingers at yourself. Uh, I'm trying to get to the root of your question, though. Uh, you're saying it's God's job, not our job. And yeah, I would agree. And in similar fashion, it's God's job to comfort. It's not our job, per se. We are doing God's work when we, when we preach the Word. Uh, and we don't have control over what it might do. Today it may afflict, tomorrow it may comfort, or vice versa. That's ultimately in the Holy Spirit's hands. Um, 
But to your point, and I know I'm all over the place, to your point, I do think we focus on the comfort more because at base level, we're all already afflicted. We're not all already comforted, uh, at least not by, by God's grace. We're comforted perhaps uh, in a false sense by worldly security. Um, I don't know if I answered your question in any meaningful, substantive way. <laughs> you want to follow up? <laughs> Yeah, well, in the church's history, it has been. Yeah, yeah, and again, that goes back to this. I mean, we want, we love seeing the log in other people's eyes. We love to afflict those people, or excuse me, the the speck, uh, neglecting our own. And I think this is where the church has a duty to preach the gospel to itself. Um, if we are so focused on fixing others, not recognizing that we ourselves need to be fixed as well, then it does become um, it does become a mission to simply afflict others. And that's that's problematic. Over here. That just reminds me of the passage of the woman caught in adultery, and everyone's ready to stone her. And Jesus said, "Perfect. You know, let the person without any sin cast the first stone, and she doesn't get stoned." Yeah. Yeah. Whereas the law would say, "Stone her, do it." But then Jesus says, "Well, who's going to do it? Uh, who's worthy to to execute that judgment?" And of course, they back down. They recognize him. Mean, he's got him caught in the catch twenty 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 uh, catch twenty two. Uh, <laughs> I have a cousin who says catch 2020 and it's like stuck with me. Catch 22. Uh, you don't know how embarrassing that was for me. Uh, uh, he's caught them because on the one hand, they want to follow the, the law. They want to follow you know, the, the word, as it were, but recognizing uh, that no one's worthy of that. No one's worthy of that. And that's where for, for Christians, the law does its work not in our hands. It does its work on us. We don't wield the law. Uh, the law uh, does work on us. I think that's a great answer, though, to, to Frank's question, um, Frank's concern. Yet yeah, none of us are worthy to cast the first stone. And so when we're afflicting the comfortable, it's not we doing that. It's God's Word doing that. Um, and we don't have control over that. But you know, Jay, I think we do do that. No, we do. That's our modus operandi. Like, <laughs> Whacking them with the truth, thinking we know what's there. And that's why this text is so important, because it tells us we, we've got a log in our own eye. Yeah. We, we need not uh, be pointing the speck out. We are not trusting when we're judging. It goes back to trust, and that's, that's the context here. It goes back to trust. So uh, when we're trying to afflict, and that's all we care about, we're not trusting the gospel in our own lives. We haven't heard it in our own uh, context, in our own life. And while we're working this out, we can figure that out. But in the moment, who tells themselves that? Like, ah. Uh, I, I am a, I'm not a good Christian. I'm afflicting others. In the moment, it feels right. It feels good. It's a righteous anger sometimes even, although most of the time it's not. Um, yeah, this is the Holy Spirit's work. And trust is the Holy Spirit's work. Faith is as well. Again, we can't, we can't conjure this up in us. Uh, it's a gift. Uh, that's why when we baptize, whether an adult or a child, and the words are, you are sealed by the Holy Spirit and marked as Christ's own forever. It's not our work. It's not our work. And even as we come to an age, if we were baptized as an infant, uh, where we can proclaim uh, what we believe, what we intellectually believe, uh, it's a gift from the very start. It's the Holy Spirit's gift in us. And I know that's like an easy out for the preacher, like, oh, we don't have to do anything. God will do it. But, but totally, that's exactly what it is. And anyone who believes otherwise uh, is, is stepping on the wrong foot, I think, stepping on the wrong path uh, of believing my agency, my control, uh, my demand, and that's just simply not the life of faith. It's not Christianity uh, in its purest form. 
It's not the gospel. Yeah, so Ellis mentioned the parable of the prodigal son, um, what some people call the parable of the prodigal father, because it's actually the father who's, in some sense, uh, prodigal or wasteful, because he's the one who gives away his inheritance to the son, and then on top of that, uh, throws this lavish party. Um, and we talked about this last week, actually, uh, funny enough. It's, it's a perennial parable that, that answers this question about who's, who's righteous. And again, the answer is none of us except for God alone. And God's the one who uh, interrupts the older, or excuse me, the younger brother as he's confessing and says, forget it. I've already forgiven you. Come on in. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to uh, give you the, the calf and the big feast, and we're going to have a party. But it's the older brother in the story who has his arms folded in the corner. And um, again, he's got the, he's recognized the log in the, the younger brother, uh, excuse me, the speck. Why do I keep saying that? The speck, but uh, not seeing his own log. And again, Jesus addresses that parable. Uh, he's talking I'm going to go to it right now uh, in Luke chapter 15, which is just fine that we're all over the place. I like it. Luke chapter 15, he addresses these three parables, the parable of the lost coin, uh, the, excuse me, the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son or prodigal son. He, he addresses the tax collectors and sinners are there, but he, he addresses the Pharisees and scribes with these three things. In other words, they're the older brother. They're, they're the older brother. And again, we, we return to those kind of texts. We make a lot of assumptions, uh, you know, that I'm the good guy. Just by default, I'm the good guy. But the, the prodigal son says, no one is the good guy but God alone. Uh, and he's made a decision to be forgiving. He's made that decision. And in Jesus Christ, we know it's not merely a, a decision he made, but it's something he enacted and continues to enact on our behalf. Great connection. Next time, I want you to teach the class seriously, because that's, that's, that's fantastic. That's, that's good. Well, any other thoughts, dear friends? It's hard in our, our context and our culture. I mean, again, from, from an early age, I'm doing this right now with my kids. I want them to tie their own shoes. I want them to make their own peanut butter and jelly sandwich. You know, I, I want them to, I want to take it easy. Um, <laughs> but God delights in tying our shoes. God delights in making our peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. I mean, He delights in being our Heavenly Father. Does He want us to live as if we're helpless? I don't think so. But I think He wants us to, to live from a faith perspective, uh, knowing that we're helpless without Him. And He gives us all the tools that we need. But we, we shouldn't shift that into that awful saying, God helps those who help themselves. That's just terrible, and it's, it's a sinister lie uh, that God is for those who can help themselves. Who can help themselves? I mean, truly, who can help themselves? Every gift is a gift from above. But every other part of our culture tells us exactly what you're talking about, Libby, that uh, I'm independent. You know, I don't, need, I don't need any help. It's a lie, though. It's a total lie. Yeah, and I think particularly, yeah, in our, our context, you know, the Protestant tradition, Episcopal tradition, it's a pretty well-read tradition. It kind of necessitates, in fact, that you can read, to read the prayer book, etc. And we look down, perhaps, on the working class Catholics who, oh, they don't, they don't know the Bible. Uh, they, they don't know the prayer book. They don't even know how to read half the time. This is at the Reformation, not now. 
but it's but it's embedded it's embedded in us i think it's embedded in our tradition and again we uh we can be self-righteous and judge others but yeah have y'all been watching this news in asbury these these revivals and again from my buttoned up episcopal tradition i think oh what's going on over there it is undoubtedly undoubtedly a work of god uh and you can agree or disagree but undoubtedly now is it the way that i would want it probably not again i like, I like a very straight buttoned up experience uh, but these people uh, are displaying in a very public fashion because of social media, but displaying uh, that they need God and it's palpable uh, and, and they're crying out for it. And so you and I, maybe we're not uh, raising our hands, maybe we're not speaking in tongues and that's not uh, the debate I want to have right now. Maybe we're not singing and praising 24-7, uh, but clearly something going, going on there. From the outside, it's easy for us to judge that and say, oh, that's, that's, they're showing off or this is a big act. Or how childish of them. No, it's totally, totally a work of God. And Jay, I, as you've been talking, I keep thinking in my own walk of Yeah, our trials have a clarifying nature to them. I mean, it zooms in on what really matters. Uh, and we can all relate to that. We've all lost a parent or a grandparent or uh, a spouse or a, a job. I mean, all these major, and you only, you know, you have a handful of them in your life that are, that are milestones that, that change you. <laughs> when those things happen, um, it does. It clarifies what, what we're really here for, which is relationship with God, to be loved by Him and to love others. Uh, and yeah, it doesn't matter what we wear. It doesn't matter what we drive. Uh, it doesn't matter what our address is. Um, that stuff matters uh, in the good times of life, but in the bad times of life, that stuff doesn't matter. And yeah, I love what you said, uh, Forsyth, about uh, just because I read Scripture till I'm blue in the face, it doesn't necessarily draw me any closer to God if I'm only aiming here. But remember, I can't aim here. Only God can aim uh, at soul level or heart level. And he does use his word to do that. But I remember there was a time in Paige's life, my wife, um, a little depression, uh, whatever it was in college, and her minister said, you know, if reading the Bible is causing you to be more depressed, it's not doing its work. Because she was reading the Bible fervently, looking for God, looking for something, but it just made her feel more afflicted at times. And the minister wisely said, you need to close your Bible. Uh, it's not doing what it's supposed to do. And at first I took, I took offense at that. Like, no, it's always the answer. Um, but in those moments, it's not being applied properly. That's where you need a preacher. I don't mean a, a clergyman. I mean someone speaking a word to you, uh, to your passive ears. But I, but I do love what you said. That just because I've got all the knowledge here, and we're a, we're a well-educated group here at the Advent, it doesn't always equate with uh, true trusting faith. And this is where, yeah, prayer, so vulnerable. Uh, I mean, prayer itself, if you were really praying, uh, again, help is really kind of the only prayer we know. Uh, but you're, 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 all pretenses are ripped away. They're, you're, you're naked before God, as it were. And when that happens, that's when he can actually comfort us and do his work, when all the accoutrements uh, and, and extras are peeled away. So again, we may not pray, Lord, prune us. We may not pray that out loud. But sometimes it really is the best thing. It is the best thing for us um, that our needs are clarified. Thanks for saying that. Well, friends, it's, it's time to close our time. Uh, let's close in prayer and we'll be, we'll be dismissed. God, we thank you for this word um, that you are meeting every need of ours. We need not be anxious. And Lord, as we are, we will be, we will be anxious. Uh, we ask that you would comfort us in our anxiety and our affliction and our difficulties, uh, showcasing who you really are in Jesus Christ, uh, the God who gives himself for us, the God not who takes, but the God who gives. 
And so give us faith even now. In Christ's name, amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us for one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.